Good morning. Today's reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. Uh, You can find it on your devices or in a pew Bible. Uh, But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we learn through your word and through the messages here. Lord, we're so grateful that we can meet together in peace and we think of all our brothers and sisters who are unable to do so. We ask for your protection and love to pour out on them. Lord, we're so thankful for our church and for our leaders and we're excited to see how you're leading us during this term. Father, most of all, we thank you for your love for us, a love so deep that your son Jesus died for us so that we can have a close and intimate relationship with you. Help us, Lord, to be people who radiate your love and show others through our love for them what a gracious and forgiving God you are. Help us to share our lives with others so that they may see you in us. Be with James now as he opens your word to us and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary... We speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. So good to see you guys uh, and be here with you as we talk more about this whole vision and mission thing. Now, you'll notice my voice is a little hoarse this morning. Uh, I'm okay. I'll explain why uh, just a bit later on. Believe it or not, it's actually related to what we're talking about uh, today, but let's, uh, we'll go from there. Now, if you're visiting here with us, uh, I said uh, last week, it's a little bit like uh, if you had come behind the scenes uh, to somebody who was talking about how they were going to uh, tell you about something in a really effective way to get you to buy their product. I used to work at Foxtel, and I sort of you know, talk about these you know, corporate uh, you know, gear-ups that we would have and that sort of thing, where they'd explain the strategy and that sort of thing. This is a little bit like if the customer walked into one of those meetings and they were like, oh, that's how they're trying to get me to buy Foxtel or something like that. So on one level, it's a little bit awkward, but at another t- on another level, I don't uh, care. Uh, because what I'm hoping is, is that you'll see that as, we, uh, talk to, uh, as I talk to you guys this morning, about how we tell people about Jesus effectively. I'm hoping that you'll have some sort of sense of what Paul says uh, in this scripture reading that we just had uh, from Narelle, where it 
Paul says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It's our deep desire here at Living Church that people would hear the good news of Jesus. And so we're spending some time at the start of the year here thinking about how we can do that in the most effective way. And the thing is that this has always been a part of the Christian faith. Since the very beginning, we've seen, and we're going to see again from the scriptures this morning, that people are going forth and declaring the good news about Jesus. And there's a a neat little uh, graphic here that I'm going to show you. It's a, a short little video, about 90 seconds, that just charts the spread of Christianity through the world uh, for this last 2,000 years or so. Now, this was put together uh, by the Business Insider magazine. I don't know why, uh, but it's pretty good, and it's the best one that I could find. The only thing is, the music's a little ominous. I'm not sure why. The article that it was posted with was not particularly negative about Christianity, but it does have a pretty strong drum line and bass here that sort of says, you know, is this a good thing or not? I'm not totally sure, but the graphic's too good not to use it, so uh, enjoy this ominous spread of Christianity uh, throughout the world. It, it's kind of interesting, right, to see it uh, put together in that way. I, w- I wonder if you might have made some observations of yourself along the way there. Uh, you see that after Jesus is crucified, the, the faith spreads very quickly over the next couple of hundred years throughout, you know, basically the, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire itself becomes Christian uh, in the fourth century. Uh, and then for like a thousand years, it's mostly uh, a European religion, really pushing right through to the end of the, the Middle, Age, Middle, Middle Ages until we get to what they, they call on here the Age of Discovery. Now, if you know much about world history, there's lots of sort of political movements and wars and all sorts of things that are happening. There's all sorts of complex stuff going on. But at the same time, when Europe started to go out across the world doing both good and bad, Christianity then spread with it. But it's sort of interesting because we think about you know, Christian, Christ, Christians sort of being, uh, you know, it's still the most populous uh, religion in the world today if you take Catholics and Protestants and Orthodox together and all that sort of stuff. But it's really interesting to see that it was for well over a thousand years located in one part of the world and then just sort of exploded out from there over the last several hundred years. And so it's good to understand these things because sometimes our expectations are set by what we see today, where if we look back at the history of things, we realize that maybe there's a different picture of things. So I'm just I'm telling you that. I'm going to circle back to that a little bit later, but I want you to have that in your mind as we start to think again about what it means for us as a church to be telling people about Jesus, because our vision here, as we've said over the last couple of weeks, is to be an ever-growing people, community of people, who love the Lord and each other. And we've talked about how we see this uh, from the very beginning of the church, that this is what the church was seeking to do. They were seeking to add to their number, to grow people in their faith and understanding and knowledge of, of, of Jesus, and they come to him as their Lord and Savior, but also to then disciple them and to bring them on towards maturity. And so we want to be a community who's ever-growing in terms of both number, because we see more people come to faith but also in maturity as we get to know the Lord Jesus more and more. And then it's our mission. The way that we're going to achieve our vision uh, is to make Christ-like disciples in southeast Brisbane and beyond. And again, we saw how from the very earliest days of the church, this is just what Christians have always been doing. They've gone forth and they've proclaimed the gospel in order that people might become disciples, followers of Jesus. That Jesus himself said the very last words that he spoke to his disciples before he ascended to be with the Father in heaven is, go and make disciples. And what drove these Christians to do this was, as it said in that Bible reading before, not a desire to trick or manipulate people or take power for themselves or anything else like that, but because the love of Christ compelled them, they'd been transformed themselves so much. They were so thankful to God for what he had done in them that they wanted others to know about this also. 
And we've talked about how we as a church, even though we're growing, we're not seeing a lot of new people come to the faith. And so we're thankful for lots and lots of good things that are happening around church. If you've joined us in the last you know, 12 to, to 24 months, we're so glad that you're here with us. We obviously want to welcome anyone who comes here and decides to worship with us. But at the same time, we want to make sure that we don't lose sight of Jesus' command to go and make disciples, to see new people come to faith. And so we're making it a point of emphasis for this year for us as a church to get better at telling people about Jesus. Now, as we do this, we totally recognize okay, that we have a part to play, but that it's God who brings the growth. And so we looked last week briefly at this passage uh, from 1 Corinthians here, where we talk about how Paul says, I planted the seed. He means he tells people about Jesus. Apollos watered it. He, he trained people up. But God has been making it grow. And so neither the one who, who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. So as we talk about what it looks like for us to get better at telling people about Jesus, we recognize it's God who brings the growth, but we can improve our methods and process, the way that we sow the seed. So we're working through this book of Sam Chan's, at least the first few chapters, where he talks about merging universes. I'll recap that in just a second. Then we're going to talk about what it means to go to their things, and next week we're going to get a little bit more, I guess, sophisticated in, in some ways, but talk about layers of conversation when it comes to telling people about Jesus. So quick recap on what we were looking at uh, last week. Merging universes. Well, the, the basic concept here is that evangelism is most effective, telling people about Jesus is most effective when it is a relational team sport. So we see this passage here in 1 Thessalonians where, again, Paul is talking to these people who he had told about Jesus and discipled in the faith, and he says that originally the gospel came to them with words, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with a deep conviction. But when you look a little bit closer, it also came with relationship where they were living amongst them, and it came in the context of a community doing evangelism together. So Paul talks about how, you know, how we lived among you. You became imitators of us. Because despite the fact that we live in a world that tends to highlight the individual, that, that's part of our sort of Western cultural heritage, Paul was rarely going on gospel journeys by himself. We think about Paul's missionary journeys, but really we should be thinking about the teams that Paul led going on missionary journeys. We think about Barnabas, we think about Luke, we think about John Mark, we think about these guys that went with him. He worked as a team, Titus, Timothy, all these guys went forth together. And so we want to recognize that telling people about Jesus is a community project. And it just turns out that when you look at the sociological evidence that we see from science and that sort of stuff in the world today, when it comes to people believing something or changing their beliefs, belonging to a community of faith is more persuasive than personal experience or even facts and data. And so what that means is, is that if we tell people the good news of Jesus, we can talk to them about our personal experience, we can provide them with the evidence from history for Jesus' death and resurrection, we can talk to them about the evidence for the Bible, all these sorts of things, all good things, and they could lead to somebody coming to faith, but it is so much more effective when a person comes in and joins the community with other believers and they look around and they're like, well, actually, if all these people are believing this stuff, maybe there's something to this. Maybe this is something I should be taking seriously and considering also. And so Sam in his book says, uh, one of the main reasons that our friends aren't Christians is they don't belong to a community of friends who also believe in Jesus. And so to make the true story of Jesus as believable as possible, we need to do what you know, Sam calls merging our universes, where essentially we think about all of our, our non-Christian friends and our Christian friends, and instead of keeping them as like these really distinct worlds, 
if we're going to be effective about telling people about Jesus, we don't just go off as solo individuals into those spaces and then talk to them about Jesus, but rather we seek to bring together our Christian and our non-Christian communities so that together we can explore this stuff. Now, again, this is not to deceive or to trick anybody, okay? It's just being wise in terms of recognizing this is how things work. This is how, this is how everybody communicates in, in all sorts of spaces. This is how advertisements work. This is how social media works. This is how politics work. This is just the way that the world operates in terms of evaluating information and making decisions about what we're going to believe, and we just want to be wise about the ways that we do this. And so it's going to look different for all of us, right? For some of you, you know, dinners is your thing. For some of you, you guys, you guys love to go camping. Some people, it's about going to the movies. For some people, again, you just love entertaining and hosting people. For some in your season of life, it's going to be kids' parties. And whatever it might look like, all of us can be thinking about the way that we can actually be merging our universes together so we can be most effective about, as we proclaim the gospel, people hearing it well. Now, as we talked about this in growth groups uh, this week, I caught up with some of you guys and got some feedback and that sort of thing. Some of the responses I heard uh, to this idea this week, uh, one person said, I can't believe how lazy I've been about this. Okay, I wasn't trying to make you feel bad, all right, just for the record. All right, but some were challenged. They were like, oh, wow, I, I really sort of haven't been uh, making enough of an effort in this space. Uh, one person said, I'm okay to tell, to tell people I'm a Christian, but talking to people about what Jesus means for them is still kind of intimidating. Right, so we know that's floating out there. Like, it's one thing for me to be seen as a Christian. It's another thing for them, me to say, maybe you should think about it too. Uh, some others said, I'm not really great at getting people together. And uh, that was in Young Adults this week, and we talked about what it means to, well, that's okay. You, you don't need to be awesome at it, because if we start doing this as a relational team community, some people are awesome at it. You bring the one or two that you know, and they hand it over to the social butterflies to do the rest of the work for you. It's a beautiful thing, you know? Uh, some said, uh, my universes are really small. Or maybe they've got one, like their Christian circle is really small and their non-Christian circle is really big, or their non-Christian circle is really small and their Christian circle is really big. And again, that's not the point. It's not about size. It's just about in whatever capacity we have with whatever sort of social situations that we work within to recognize that we can seek ways to do this on whatever level we can operate at. Another person said that my universes are really distinct, like, you know, they're getting into, uh, you, know, you know, just decades of established relationships and all that sort of stuff, and it just feels like a, it's a really big shift to start now to try and do this. And they weren't saying that, uh, you know, they can't do it, but they were just recognizing, oh, wow, I've kept these worlds separate for so long, I'm going to need to do some more work both personally and relationally to actually start to try and bring this stuff together. So I'm sharing all this with you guys, as you've been talking about in growth groups and that sort of thing, just to recognize that, yeah, look, there's going to be some challenges to this. I was talking last week about how this is a lifestyle change for us, that this is something that's simple, but I recognize that it's not necessarily going to be easy, that there's going to be challenges in this. And sometimes we just have to say it and recognize it and all that sort of thing. And you guys know that as we talk about it, that other people are feeling the same way. But I want you to just... Think about this. I'm going to circle back around with some encouraging words towards us at the end, but let's just take this key concept here of what it looks like to merge universes together and then start to think about going to their things, which, again, the Spotlight team did such a good job with. I'm like, man, I should just let them, you know, have 30 minutes. Uh, maybe that'd be too much. I don't know. But uh, let's think about this idea of going to their things. So, again, it comes from Sam's book, uh, and he shares this anecdote where this, the penny sort of dropped for him in, in how uh, this operates. He says that he often gets asked to speak at evangelistic events, uh, but he notices that most Christians struggle to bring any friends along to these events. He says, the exception is my friend Andrew. 
At each event, Andrew is surrounded by four or five non-Christian friends he's brought along, and I've noticed that these friends are happy to be there. So I asked Andrew's wife what their secret was, and I love this. Like, I don't know what his relationship with his friend Andrew is like, but he's like, Andrew won't have a clue about how he's doing this, but I'll talk to his wife. She'll seem to understand it. Um, so I said to Andrew's wife, what's the secret? Uh, how come every time I speak to one of these things, you guys are surrounded by non-Christian friends who are happy to be here? And she replied, it's easy. We're always hanging out, dinners, movies, barbecues. We're always going to their things, so they're happy to come to one of our things. It's a really, really simple idea that's just sort of a basic concept of how one makes friends, but apparently we Christians need some coaching in this space, so let's just roll with it. Uh, essentially, if we want people to come into our community, we've got to go to theirs. And we talked last week about how one of the challenges is this, uh, particularly you know, recognizing the, the demographic that I'm speaking to here, as many of us uh, might be moving into middle age or maybe have been there for a little while, uh, it, it can get challenging to, to make friends and to keep relationship up and keep friendships up. And we'll, we'll talk about, again, how we can be encouraged in the midst of all the things that we have to do. But we need to recognize that this is just a basic principle that if we're going to be effective in telling people about Jesus, we need to work well. And it turns out uh, Jesus did this a fair bit himself. So you guys might remember uh, the story of the woman who comes and, and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. You know, we, we all remember that the details, right? She, she lived in a town in a sinful life. She heard that Jesus was coming, so she brings her perfume. She gets there, and she's weeping, and she begins to wet his, wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, poured perfume on them. It's a powerful, evocative image. But if we go back to the start of the passage, we notice here that it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house. The beautiful story of him coming face-to-face with this sinful woman and meeting her in, in her emotional depth came because he received an invite and he went into the Pharisee's house. And you've got to remember, the Pharisees weren't exactly his friends. That They were not always the most welcoming to him. Now, you know, there were different degrees of Pharisees. We know that there were some that were intrigued by Jesus and certainly some became early followers of Christ. But the point is, is that Jesus was invited to something and he went, and in that moment, an opportunity to minister this woman presented itself to him. Similarly, on the Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent, prominent Pharisee, Pharisee, he was being watched carefully to see what he would do. He's under watch. They're suspicious of him, but he's still going to their things. He's still going into their spaces in order to be there with him. Remember the story from Luke 5, when, when Levi, the disciple who'd become Matthew, holds this great banquet for Jesus And again, the Pharisees are there, they're watching, and they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus famously answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again and again, Jesus was like, if I'm going to do the job that the Father has given me, if I'm going to tell people about the kingdom of God, I need to actually get out there and be amongst them and be with them if I'm going to do this well. And sometimes he just invited himself, right? Famous story of Zacchaeus, right? Little man, can't see Jesus, climbs the tree, classic kid's Bible story and all that sort of stuff. Jesus looks up and he says to him, hey, Zacchaeus, I've got to stay at your house today. Just, I mean, what a flex, right? Maybe I'll try that after church. I'll pick one of you guys. And he's like, so I'm coming to your house today. Just see how that goes, all right? I probably won't, but if I do... um, so Zacchaeus runs down, you know, gets himself 
starts to get the house ready, all that sort of stuff. But the people watch and they say, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. But once again, it turns out that as Jesus goes into this guy's house, as he, as he goes into this space that people are judging him for, Zacchaeus stands up and declares that Jesus is going to be his Lord. He's going to change his life, turn it around. And as Jesus says here, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man, that's Jesus, has come to seek and save the lost. He's proactive in getting out there and going to the people that he's trying to tell about the kingdom of God and alluding to what he himself is going to do. He did it so often. I love this. This is just one of my favorite things because it just punches through every little religious obstacle that we would raise about all sorts of different stuff. And I'll come back and take another swing at it in a second. But Jesus said, the son of man, again, that's himself. The son of man came eating and drinking and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I think I want to make this my new life goal, to have somebody call me a glutton and a drunkard because I'm spending so much time eating and drinking with sinners that they're just like, that's all he ever does. Eats and drinks with the people that don't know him. I mean, it's crazy, right? That this is the thing that they were getting upset about, but this is it. Jesus was just always going out and seeking those who he wanted to tell the good news to because he understood how precious the message was. Remember, Jesus isn't doing this because it's about to bring him a whole bunch of worldly success. He's not doing this because this is going to mean great riches for him on earth or, you know, any sort of cash or anything like that. It's not going to get him extra clout. He knows where he's going. He's going to the cross. He's wanting to tell people about this because he knows the pain he's going to endure. He knows the price he's going to pay. He knows the life that he wants to give. And in that deep desire, he goes to the people even though they're going to call him names. Even though some of them are literally going to be the ones who call for his blood and put him on the cross. And so we need to recognize that this was when Jesus said to his disciples, go, that this is what they just watched him do for the last three years. They watched him go to people so that he could tell them the good news about the kingdom of God. And so we need to be a people who are willing to go to all the different things and all the different stuff that we can in our culture in order that we might tell people about Jesus because the basic principle is, as we go to their things, they'll come to our things. It's just, it's a constant ebb and flow. And the thing is, guys, once you actually start to think about it, it, it's, again, it's almost embarrassing. It's not rocket science, right? Like just basic instruction on how to build a relationship and how to do this sort of thing. We'll get to why it's a challenge in just a little bit. But just a couple of ideas in our Australian culture that is, is a really easy way to actually get into people's spaces and that sort of stuff. Um, get on their rosters. You know, Australia uh, is the land of clubs. We love clubs. If, if you've never spoken to somebody who comes from a different country and that sort of stuff, and they get here and then they re- and it's like, you have so many clubs, just like these extracurricular hobby groups that get together to do everything. It's actually, it, it's, unless you've been out of Australia, you don't realize how much of an Australian thing this is. I pulled these off of a website I found that like lists like every club in Australia. I mean, you could spend days on that website, man, like just clicking through on all sorts of different topics. I just tried to get a cross section here. This wasn't even the wackiest stuff. I didn't want, some stuff I'm like, they wouldn't even believe me it's a real club. Um, 
But this is the thing, there's all these different spaces that if we just get involved and connect with people and, and seek to serve and be a positive influence there, there's all sorts of spaces that you can be involved in that say, hey, maybe you wanna come and check out our stuff also. And just recognizing that in our community, as big as we are and as spread out as we are, that there are all these little hubs within our communities that if we start to get involved with them, there's all sorts of opportunity for relationship and connection that we can be building. It used to be that church was kind of like the center of a village and the hub and all that sort of stuff. These days it's schools. And it doesn't even really matter these days if you don't have kids. When you talk to principals and that sort of stuff, they recognize, you know, you know it's, it's called the P&C committee. What, what does P&C stand for? Parents and citizens. Schools are literally saying we're cool with the citizens, the people around us in the community being involved in our school life because schools recognize they're dependent on the community around them for so much of the stuff that actually happens within their schools. These days, libraries are an incredible community hub. That's their entire goal. You know you need to do like a degree to be a librarian these days? Like, like it's an actual degree that you go to university for, and it's not because they need help with the Dewey system. Is that even a thing? I don't know. Um, is that still a thing? I don't know. But it's because they recognize now that what librarians do, it's not just shelving books, it's building community, it's engaging with people, in all sorts of different ways to get them to be involved. And so we need to recognize and just be wise again that there's all sorts of spaces that we can go into, and if we have a servant heart and a heart to make friends and build relationship and that sort of stuff, there's all sorts of things we can do. Now, some of you will wonder, and you know, I'm taking this partly from Sam, but I think I would have got there myself, or at least I hope I would have. Uh, but then you start to wonder, okay, there's all these different spaces that we can go into, but the world is a complex place. There's lots of things happening in the world that I maybe don't agree with or that I don't feel comfortable myself with. So, so where do I draw the line? Is there a limit to what we should go to as Christians? Now listen, and I'm going to try on some toes here, um, but that's okay. So let's start by thinking again about the fact that our Lord and Savior, the holiest person who has ever lived, the sinless son of God was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because of the spaces that he went into. So as a starting point, we need to recognize that the way we're viewed by others is not necessarily going to be the best measuring stick for whether we should be going into certain spaces or not. But we should also notice that the way that Jesus did this, you know, when he was asked, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners, is that even though he was being counted amongst them and being called names and made, having accusations made against him, what he said was, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but those who are ill. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus was doing two things. He was absolutely going into spaces that seemed a little bit dodgy, Okay, we might remember when we did the, the Gospel of John uh, last year, we talked about the woman at the well, maybe even the year before, we talked about the woman at the well and how in his day, there's no way that a Jewish man would have been alone with a woman in the middle of the day and all this sort of stuff. He broke social norms all the time. And yet at the same time, he was also really clear that I'm amongst sinful people. That his being amongst them didn't endorse everything that they were doing it didn't mean that he was saying to them, yeah, I'm on board with everything that you've got going on here. But he certainly was willing 
to break all sorts of cultural and social norms and even religious norms in order that they might tell people about the kingdom of God. So, we've got to think, like, what spaces am I actually willing to go into in order to be a presence for Christ and to tell people about Jesus? Now, listen, I'm not wanting anybody to act against conscience here. But I am looking to challenge you if you've had sort of a simple assumption that Christians can't go into these spaces. It would be like we're endorsing this thing. It would be this tacit sort of sign of approval for the stuff that's happening around us. And I'd sort of push back and say, I don't think that's what Jesus did. He could be there and still call it sin, and yet he was still invited back next time. And so it's something that we've got to think about because there are obvious ones that get a little, you know, we might look at and be like, I'm not sure about this. For those of you wondering, Jesus Loves Porn Stars is this amazing ministry where people go into like porn conferences and that sort of stuff and, you know, basically minister to sex workers and porn stars and this sort of stuff. And their, their Bible that they hand out has that picture on the front cover. Like at, at first, like at the religious part of us is like, oh, I don't know about that one. I'm like, that's some good evidence that makes me feel like Jesus might have been on that team. I mean, I can't say he wouldn't be for sure, right? And then the funny thing is, is that when we actually start to think it through a little bit, we realize that we as Christians, there's lots of things that we are happy to align ourselves with. Like we get mad about some things, but then we're not really super consistent about it. So we'll join other groups or go to other places. That's the Treasury Casino, if you weren't sure. Apparently, it's not totally recognizable in Brisbane. Um, maybe it needs some more work. But, uh, you know, we'll go to some things and not other things, and it, it's just funny where we draw the line. So all I'm trying to do in this is I'm not trying to say what you should or shouldn't do, but I'm trying to challenge some of your assumptions and recognize that I want you to respect your consciences about what you feel like you need to be doing yourselves, but at least let's seek to be consistent and make sure that we're not being judgmental when we have the example of our sinless Savior who could say, this is, these are sinful people, but I can still be amongst them. And even though some people are going to say you're a glutton and a drunkard, that you can still be there. Something to think about. I'm sure you'll have some conversations in growth group. I look forward to hearing about it. So, like I said, Jesus went to things, still called them sinners, the basic principle, Jesus hung with sinners to tell people about the kingdom of God, we should too. And typically, telling people about Jesus means being good friends and good community members. Because, again, we, we just want to do what the apostles themselves did. We, we seek to live amongst people, to share our lives with them because we love them and we want them to know the good news of Jesus. That, that's what we're getting at. Now, let's talk about why this is hard. Because it's, it's simple, right? It, there's nothing particularly difficult conceptually about this, but it's also not necessarily an easy thing for us to do. And I was thinking through like, how you guys might be feeling as we're talking about this stuff, and we put these things in front of you, what this might look like and everything. These are some of the things that I, I thought you might be thinking about. That again, as, we, as you guys start to think about your time, you know, we've got a lot of busy, hardworking, driven, faithful people here, and we've got a lot of people who carry a lot of responsibility, and you guys are doing all sorts of different things, between work and school sports and getting dinner ready and endless laundry and homework and part-time jobs and school musician stuff and everything that you guys do here at church, we have a long list of things. So let's just 
slow down and think about this a little bit. If it seems overwhelming as a starting point, let's just remember to, to hope in the Lord. And I mean this sincerely. I don't want this to come across as kitsch or lame, because this is, this is deep truth of God stuff, right? This is from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah says to the people of Israel in the Old Testament, why do you complain, Jacob, that was another name for Israel, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Basically, the people of God are complaining, just doesn't feel like God's with us in all the things that we're trying to, to do. And he says, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. For lots of us who do lots of things, I think sometimes it can get discouraging for us. There's just so much on our plate, and, and, and I feel this too. And it's really easy to start to think to yourselves, like, you know, I, that nobody understands. I'm doing so much. I've got all these things. You're asking something else of me. You're talking about, you know, telling people about Jesus and all that sort of stuff. I, I, I can barely get myself out of the door sometimes. And, and listen, that's, that's reality. That's just what it's like sometimes. And so I know as we, we talk about making a lifestyle change here and we talk about, the, you know, in lots of ways, doing more things, about, about thinking about changing the way that we do things, that for some of us, it can just immediately feel like, man, this is, this is so much. And, and really quickly, we can start to feel guilty because we know this is a good thing. We know this is one of those things that we're meant to be doing, but it's just the emotional weight of all the things that we're doing versus the, the guilt that we feel about not doing the, these sorts of things, it can just get to be too much. And so we focus on doing the good things that we can, and we stop worrying about this stuff. But we need to be a people who recognizes that, yeah, sometimes we get weary, and sometimes we get tired, but we keep hoping in the Lord in order to serve him and do the things that he asks of us, that, that being tired is not in itself a bad thing. That sometimes we do need to work hard, and sometimes we will get weary, but if we keep trusting and hoping in the Lord, then, then we can endure what may come. The second thing that I want to encourage you guys in, again, particularly uh, this service, but recognizing that this is going to be a different challenge for different people in different seasons of life, if telling people is a relational team sport, families need to do it together. That, that if, as I was talking about this sort of stuff and you were thinking about what this looks like and one of your concerns was, you know, isn't this going to take me away from my family more? Lots of you guys are parents, lots of you guys have uh, extended family connections and all that sort of stuff. Isn't there, there going to be a cost to pay? Well, on one level, I want to say yes. On another level, we need to actually recognize that if we're trying to raise up our kids to follow Jesus well, that we want to be modeling this sort of stuff, that this is something that we do as a family where we seek to, to go to their things and build relationship and make connection. I asked the kids' church teachers uh, what the kids were thinking about the whole merging the universes thing that we talked about last week. And the point of feedback they gave me was, the kids are really excited, but they recognize how limited they are because it depends on their parents. Like that, that's so interesting, right? The kids get excited about this, but they immediately feel their own limitations because they recognize that they've got limited 
independence and that sort of stuff for themselves. And it's therefore on those of us who have this responsibility of, of bringing these guys up, and even if our kids are, are older and starting to get more independent and that sort of things, those of us who have kids, this is a responsibility that we need to accept. What does it look like for us to do as families? And again, if you're a single person, then we want to make sure that, again, this isn't something that you're going and doing by yourself, but rather that we team up with people because if you're a family unit, it can be immediately easy for you to start to sort of think about this in relational terms. But if we don't think about our singles in our midst and about the challenges that they're facing and be deliberate to include them in their efforts and that sort of stuff, then we're missing out on all the good stuff that they can bring to us and bring to this also. All right, last point. We've got to recognize that this is a marathon and not a sprint. That as we feel the weight of all the different things that we have to do, a little bit done consistently over time is going to be better than you guys just throwing yourselves into this for a few weeks and then seeing no results and giving up. Again, this is what Jesus taught us, right? He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants. and becomes a tree, so the bird comes and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. If we're going to see the kingdom of God spread, it's like that map at the start, right? It seemed to grow quick at the start, and then for a long time, a lot of the world didn't have the message of Jesus. There's all sorts of complex reasons for that, but this is the thing. It also still fits with this basic principle that Jesus explained to us, which is this thing takes time. That if you're getting discouraged because you haven't seen instant results, you're sort of looking at it in the wrong way. Yeast goes to work and is doing a lot on a microscopic level that you can't see until hours later when things start to expand. If you watch a tree, a seed that you plant in the ground grow daily, it can seem like it takes forever, but one day you see this, this big tree before you. And so we need to make sure that we have a heart and a mindset that says we're just going to do our little bit day after day after day. The reason that my voice, a little hoarse this morning, I feel like it's getting stronger as we're going, I'm encouraged here. Uh, is that last night, uh, a bunch of us went uh, to watch one of the guys from Night Church uh, who does professional wrestling. And we were merging universes. There were some, some people there that didn't know Jesus and that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I've been wanting to go to the wrestling there for, for ages and that sort of thing. But this thing, as good as that was and as much fun as we had, it, it's a drop in the bucket. Like, it, if, if that's all we do, we just you know, occasionally get together with Christian, non-Christian friends, that, that's not going to do it. This needs to be consistent, deliberate, intentional effort over time. But here's the encouraging thing. If we're all doing it together, you know, across the Sunday, we have you know, 450 people here, but roughly that sort of stuff. If all of us are sowing seeds every single week, if all of us are just doing a little bit, the odds of some of those seeds starting to grow and get watered well get a whole lot better. If we just occasionally go out and try and do individual things, the odds aren't really in our favor. But if all of us are doing something, little by little, over time, it will grow. That's Jesus' promise to us. His word will not return to him empty. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It will grow. And we just want to work the principles that he's given us. So let's pray now. 
as we think about what it means for us to go to the things and for us to continue to build on this as a community. Father God, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus and all he's done for us. Thank you for the wisdom that you've given us in your scriptures. Thank you for the model of Jesus that we see him going in to these places where he had both the courage and the conviction to say, here are sinful people, and yet such a love for them and a willingness to go that he was mocked and accused and invited back. And we just pray, Father, that we would be a people who show such love for those around us, that we'd be willing to go in such a way that even though we know we believe in the gospel, even though we know that we see things differently from our friends and our families, even though we we go to some things that, that challenge us, that we would be a people that are willing to do that, that we would not let our religiosity get in the way of us being the sort of people who would follow Jesus in order that we might proclaim the kingdom of God and all that he's done for us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.